Well, we're, we are in this series called Meaningful Christmas. Would everybody say it with me? Meaningful Christmas. And uh, week one, we, we recognize that Christmas is meaningful because it is, thank you so much, dear friend, because it is a miracle. Christmas is a miracle. Because of Christmas, nothing is impossible with God. Christmas should awaken in you and in me a, a, an expectation of and a readiness to believe for and to pray for the miraculous. We should see uh, faith and prayer like opening a door to limitless possibility. Every single thing we're celebrating is, is absolutely a miracle. And this season should nourish, should prompt us afresh to just ask for, to believe for, to, to like Mary simply say, let it be unto me according to your word. Christmas is meaningful because we also saw that it, that it means that God is with us. Not only the divinity of Jesus Christ, but the disposition of heaven. God is inclined toward us. He is working for our good. He is on our side. Now that's good news. Merry Christmas. God is on your side. He, he wants what's best for you. He is, he is, his saving power is at work in our lives. And Christmas is meaningful because, it, because God became flesh. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we know that God loves us fully and that we are able to and should love him fully, and that because of the incarnation, we should love one another fully. This morning, I, we will close this series by recognizing perhaps the most profound, if not the most simple, and that is this. Christmas is meaningful because Jesus is the King. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Matthew continues the story of Jesus' early life, and he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, honestly, this is a, I want to say it's, it's a profound passage uh, have you ever heard the word oish? You know, the idea of oish, I think it's Yiddish, and it means to really, it's a really, it's a zinger. This whole, Matthew's whole interaction here is an oish. I mean, it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely, but it, it actually, it, it is, it, it humiliates Herod the king. So it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. So you could read it this way. In the days of Herod the king. Remember, Herod was uh, an Edomite. He was, uh, he was from, from the, the tribe of, of Esau, the nation of, of Esau. And he was a pretender to the throne. He, he wrestled and scratched his way there. He killed people in order to get there. And then to make up for it, he, he made the temple grounds really big. And he, he engaged in this massive renovation project. And it worked. It was beautiful. And they appreciated him for it. But he was a violent, jealous man. (laughs) 
And Matthew tells us that in the days of Herod the king, in other words, Herod the, the pretend king, in those days, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is born in the house of bread. He is, and we know he's the bread of life. But this, 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 this resonates with the audience prophetically because we know uh, they would have known in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, the prophet Micah singles out Bethlehem. And if you're reading through Micah, it, it, it doesn't connect. It. You can tell as you're reading that, that something happens to the prophet as he is speaking to the nations about God's judgment. The spirit of Christ comes upon him and, and he sees something occurring in the, in the distant future, something happening in this little town of Bethlehem. And the prophet says, but, but, but you, O Bethlehem, who are, are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come. Somebody say shall come. Someone that's someone still coming, right? Some, from someone who's not here yet, or at least it sounds like it, from you shall come forth for me, the Lord says, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Someone is coming, but he's coming from a long time ago. <laughs> Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is Bethlehem. This is the prophecy about Bethlehem. So Matthew says, now in the days of Herod, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And behold, remember Matthew likes that word, ta-da, and ta-da. So we're supposed to, I know you and I are familiar with this. Oh, yeah, we know who these guys are, but Matthew's audience should be shocked. And ta-da, wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They come to the king who fought and scratched and killed his way and bribed his way to be king. And they say to him, hello, where's the real king? Where's the one born king? Where's the one who didn't have to earn it? But it's not just his destiny, it's his identity. Where, where, the, where the king? <laughs> they come to the king and they say, where the king? Where's the one born king? I, ooh. He, Jesus, is born king. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Where is the one who was born king? They said, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
I suppose if you read any commentaries or books or whatever, there is really not any universal agreement as to what they saw, whether it was a, a special aligning of planets or some sort of... They saw something in the skies. They were looking. They were, they, they, they were looking for a star. They were looking in the heavens for a sign. What's likely... What's quite likely is that these magi, probably coming from Babylon, were, were stewarding teaching and uh, traditions all the way, dating all the way back probably to Daniel. And Daniel would have, been, would have stewarded, for, stewarded for them a record of an older prophecy going all the way back to the book of Numbers. Where, where the prophet Balaam was, uh, went, went up to a mountainside and looked upon the people of Israel as they're moving through their exodus to the promised land, and he sees this myriad, this multitude of people, and he's being paid to curse them. And every time he opens his mouth, his mouth to curse them because his people are surrounded with favor as a shield, whenever the enemy opens his mouth to curse, all that comes out is blessing. And so now, finally, he says, give me one more chance. I'll go a little bit higher. Give me a little bit more granola. And now he looks upon this massive crowd, and he inhales to say something about this multitude. And what does he say in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17? He looks upon this crowd, and he says, I see him. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It is quite possible that this old prophecy still resonated, and they might actually have been looking for a star. Whatever they were looking for and whatever they saw, here's what we absolutely know, that God providentially did something to get their attention to draw them to Jesus. And that's what God does. He doesn't always... He doesn't always rearrange the universe, but he will rearrange your world. And he will put people and circumstances in your life for the singular reason to draw you to Jesus Christ. It may have been a family member. It may have been an opportunity. For Sometimes it's a crisis. I'm not saying he sends a crisis, but he'll buy it. He'll redeem it back. He'll use it, and he'll turn you around and bring you to Jesus. He may use a spouse. He may use anything. He may use Sunday school. He may use an invitation to church, but God... God will do whatever it takes. He will rearrange your world to bring you face-to-face with Jesus Christ. All of that is fantastic, but what is most profound is what they say, the reason they say that they have come. These, these magi have probably traveled 800 miles. This is a massive, risky, expensive undertaking. We have saw his star, and we have come to negotiate with him, to make him a means to an end, to enter into a tree to see if he can do something for us. Think of all of the reasons why people might go see a king. Somehow they want that meeting to be an, a, a means to an end. 
but their end is singular. We have come all this way, all this sacrifice, all this risk. We have come to worship him. The end of their journey, the point of their journey was worship. And that is the point. That's the end. That is our journey as well. Why did they come all this way? Because Jesus is king. And he is worthy of it all. He is worthy. Why did they come so far with so much? Because Jesus is worthy of it all. Jesus is king. Would you say it out loud? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Now, now when Herod heard this, when he heard, we have come all this way to worship him. I, I don't have enough words. I could throw words all day at this concept, and, it, and I don't think it would do enough. We, the Holy Spirit has to help us feel the gravity and the wonder of this. These, these, these magi from this trip said, we have come all this way to worship him. When Herod heard this in verse 3, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why so troubled? Why would he be troubled? Because Larry Moe and Curly showed up to Jerusalem with two boxes and a vase. You know that it's Larry Moe and Curly with two boxes and a vase because that's who we see at the manger scene, right? There's only three of them there, and they got two boxes and a vase. We know it. We've seen it with our own eyes. What's far more likely in this, in verse 3, that we just happened is what's, what's much more likely than three fellers, two boxes, and a vase is something that's much more like the old Disney movie when uh, uh, Aladdin. When they're, they're minding their own business in the palace and the whole city begins to rumble. And they look outside and, and you hear, Prince Ali! There's just this elephants and things and people are coming in and because this this these people would have traveled so far they would have had they would have had servants and servants who served them and security and 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 animal keepers and all kinds of stuff this would have been quite an entrance into Jerusalem and 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 then and now it's so it's not just they didn't sneak in in the quiet of night they come in the wisest the wealthiest of people in the world have traveled all this way and Herod's like oh yeah you know coming to see me of course and they say we where's the, first of all where's the real king and that we've we've come not not to not to impress him not to negotiate but to worship Phenomenal. So in verse 4, assembling all the chief priests and all the scribes and all the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He has no idea. So they tell him, well, according to, again, they quote Micah. They say, well, according to the book of Micah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. And they quote it again. So in verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, hey, listen, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, let me know about it. Send me word so that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose 
went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Again, not because the star was cool, but because of who the star was pointing at. And going into the house, listen to this, this is it, this is it. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They, now, I'm not trying to be silly, but they didn't trip. They intentionally, perhaps even almost violently, prostrate themselves. They throw themselves down on the floor before this humble unbecoming, un, 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 insignificant infant. They throw themselves down and worship. And then they grab treasure. We always imagine that they probably had it in their hands, you know, because that's what, again, that's the painting in the manger in the song, the three kings of Orient are. But I would imagine they probably said, back up the truck, boys. After they pulled themselves off the floor, you could hear the beep, beep, beep. And they brought him treasures. Treasures. Of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These things have become so traditional, so traditionalized, so analogous of so many things. We don't really know. We don't really know what they what, why they were significant other than they were very, very valuable. In hindsight, they do seem to speak to us in an echo of the identity of Jesus, of his royalty, of his divinity, and his humanity. And no, this is not the reason why we give gifts. But if we do... Why don't we remember this? And, and, and as we give gifts to one another at this time, it might even be appropriate to at least at once, to at least say at once, in honor of King Jesus, I give you this. Recognizing, remember that he came in the flesh and that I'm treating other people as unto him. They came and worshipped the Christ child because Jesus is king. Jesus is king because, first of all, he was born the king of the Jews. He was born the king of the Jews. That's our next slide. There we go. Let's go to that. Jesus is the king. We'll say it out loud. Good job. Okay. Glad to have my nephews in the house, all right? He was born the king of, he, was, he is the king because he was born the king. And, and the scripture says in verse 2, he was born the king of the Jews. Now, you might say, hey, wait a minute, time out. What about me? I, I, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm Irish, Danish, English, and Dutch, as a matter of fact, and there's not, and there's not Jew in there anywhere. What about me? Is, what about, can, can he be my king? The, the, in this in this. We need to understand that to be born the king of the Jews means he is the king of those who are in possession or a part of the covenant with God. And we know that Christ has become the new covenant. 
So all who have faith in Christ are included in this covenant. Here's what Paul the Apostle writes about us. Now, listen, this is a little bit longer, but listen to how Paul reminds us that now we're, we're part. We're in this thing. You ready? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh, uh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, everybody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is our King. He was born our King. He is King because he was born King. Jesus is King, and he was put on trial for being the King. In Matthew 27 and verse 11, Pilate asks him, Are you the King of the Jews? And when Jesus was placed on the cross, this was the charge against him, the charge against him, written in in all, all of the known languages of the time in the region above his head is the charge is written. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. He is the king, and as the king, as our king, he did only what a king could do. In that moment on the cross, he became our deliverer, our savior, our captain, our, our, our redeemer, our rescuer, our mighty one. In that moment of vulnerability and brokenness, he was our mighty one. First Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins. He took on our greatest and eternal enemy, that thing which stung humanity and killed us at the first. Jesus took it upon himself and saved us forever from Satan's power and from sin's domain. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, John says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He was born king. He was put on trial for being king. 
he was executed for being the king. And he was raised as the king. In, in, in Matthew 28, 18, after, after his resurrection, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He was born king, he was charged as king, he was crucified as king, he was raised as king, and he will come again as king. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And John the Revelator opens his eyes by the power of the Spirit and is shown a glimpse that this is who Jesus is, that he will come again as king. In in Revelation 19, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, and ta-da, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in in, in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he'll rule rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread their winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe. And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what is most profoundly meaningful about Christmas. It is that Jesus is king. He was born king. He was worshipped as king. He died king. He was raised as king. And he will come again as king. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. King of kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is king. And we come to him today in worship.
gather around the table of the Lord we make sure we have these emblems I'd like to rehearse with you again before we close this year the sacred tenets of our faith and once again anytime that you feel like you have an amen you can participate we believe that God is good and that his loving kindness endures forever We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, that he was crucified, was buried, and on the third day he rose again, fulfilling the Scriptures. We believe that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and that his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. We believe in his baptism that Jesus brings us into vital contact with the Holy Spirit so that we might live for and live like Jesus. That the Spirit of God is the seal. He is the down payment. He is the inheritance. He is the assurance and the influence of heaven in our lives right now. We submit to his blessing. And we welcome his holy and manifest influence in our lives. And we believe in the table of the Lord, the communion of the saints, these spiritual symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. We believe that his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection promises and provides healing and forgiveness and abundant life. We believe that the Holy Spirit applies now 
what Christ has accomplished forever. The gospel says that in John's gospel, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The apostle Paul wrote, this is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. One of the verses to a sacred carol sounds like this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you take this wafer, this is the body of our Lord, and may he keep you in everlasting life. May you feed by faith on his life given for you that you may have life. And may we receive this with thanksgiving together in Jesus' name. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out as a ransom for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it, this do in remembrance of me. This cup of the Lord Jesus is the blood of Christ. May he keep you in everlasting life. Drink by faith of his life given for you, his blood poured out as a ransom for you, and believe on his stripes for your forgiveness, your deliverance, your healing. Let us do so with thanksgiving. Amen. Can I invite you to stand together as we pray? you'd like to open up your hands as if you are going to receive something, let's believe that the Holy Spirit is present right now to apply all that Christ has accomplished. So first of all, I pray that Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of His great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all who repent and in true faith turn to Him, may He have mercy on you. May He pardon you and deliver you from all sin. May he confirm and strengthen you in all goodness. And now, may healing life flow into your body and soul. Restore your soul and heal your body. Jesus Christ heals you. We gather in the name of Jesus and in the presence of the Holy Spirit that the healing virtue in the name of Jesus would flow into your life. We pray for all who are here and all who are with us live, those who will be with us later, and we pray for the healing virtue in the name of Jesus. Every joint, every tendon, every tissue, every every threat, every concern, every virus, every respiratory, every 
every neurological issue, every muscular issue, every circulatory issue, everything that would be fashioned against you must submit, must be thrown down before the mighty matchless name of Jesus Christ. We pray for his healing life to flow. Let him be king over your life today. May his peace be yours. May his strength be yours. May his healing presence be yours. And now, having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Breathe in now his life, his presence. Breathe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Be Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive him. Be filled. Let the presence of God fall upon us afresh. Let the promise, the gift of the Father come upon us afresh today. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for all of the goodness that you are and have done for us and have provided for us. And we thank you that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is king. Can we give the Lord thanks and praise together? Well, let's let it, let, let us an offering of joy and praise before the Lord. in person in 2021. Merry Christmas!